With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen beat Charles Leclerc to victory in Formula One's first Miami Grand Prix, winning after passing on track early on and defying pressure after a late safety car caused by a collision between McLaren's Lando Norris and Pierre Gasly. Ferrari could not turn their front row lockout into a one-two finish, and I want to know from the guys on the podcast today whether Red Bull considered themselves unlucky not to get a 1-2 finish. It was a power unit issue, possibly holding Perez back in fourth. Instead, it would be Verstappen, Leclerc, Sainz, podium. Not the last time we've seen that podium, I bet you, in 2022. I'm joined on the podcast today from Miami. It's so nice to have you guys all sat around a table back at the races again. Uh, we've got uh, Luke Smith, Jess McFadden and... Out of his box, Stuart Codling. Uh, Codders, we'll start with you back at a Grand Prix. Literally out of my suitcase uh, and, and out of the box room, which I share with the aircon unit, uh, and which we've fortunately turned off so that our listeners don't hear some terrible wine in the background. Usually the wine in the background is me, of course. Well, Carlos Sainz finished third ahead of a hobbled Sergio Perez. George Russell coming in fifth in the first of the Mercedes, followed by Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Russell would gain massively with the safety car timing and beating his teammate in uh, that battle afterwards. Verstappen, well, he would do half the job at the start of the race, being aggressive around the outside of Turn 1 to take second place from Carlos Sainz. And really, Sainz had nowhere to go if it had braked any later. He risked running into the back of his teammate. So Verstappen taking one place there. On lap 7, Verstappen would get within DRS range of Leclerc and two laps later pass him at the same Turn 1 to take the lead. And from then, never looked back. Was it an easy cruise to victory? Could Ferrari have won today in any way? Will Mercedes be delighted after that fifth and sixth? Other stories to get into today. Bottas finishing seventh, but will he feel hard done by? Because he was running much higher for much of the race. Ocon finishing in eighth. Some late penalties, which if you turned off the coverage straight after, you might not know about. Alonso, you might think, was ninth, but he wasn't. Two five-second penalties. And so in 
in ninth place, Alex Albon, and in tenth, Lance Stroll. So let's start with Luke. From the coverage, which always is difficult when you're watching the Formula One and the director is choosing certain things, it looked like a bit of a, not quite a walk in the park, because he looked pretty shattered afterwards with his helmet off, but it did look like Verstappen had that one under control. What's your analysis? I think he did definitely face pressure from Leclerc. I think Red Bull definitely had the pace advantage this weekend. I think we that we saw, yeah, it was pretty comfortable once he got those those moves completed and got into the lead. And he managed to build up quite a decent uh, advantage over Leclerc through that first stint. He didn't need to react immediately when Leclerc tried to get a bit of an undercut because the gap was so big, left it two laps and came in. And yeah, was still a good sort of six, seven seconds up the road and was able to hold that gap pretty firm. And I think that the only real pressure we saw Max come under was after the, the safety car period. And that obviously gave Leclerc a chance to get back into the fight. They were on the same same uh, same similar age of hard tyres. So that obviously meant there wasn't a huge advantage either way. And DRS meant that Leclerc was able to get close. Now, a few times he was sort of having a little look, getting get it, getting quite close, but he could never get close enough to really go for a proper lunge and, and make a move. And then, yeah, we saw Leclerc in, in the closing stage just began to fall away a little bit. And that meant Max was able to, to get home pretty pretty comfortably in the end. But I think it was, yeah, it was it was a weekend that I think he definitely had to, he definitely had to fight through. I thought that he was brilliant at the start. He said that he found a lot of grip on the outside of turn one, which was something a lot of the drivers didn't, really fine they were all trying to stick on that inside but he uh he, he swung it around the outside well to get signs and i think that it was uh it was it was a yeah really good performance from max i think he's going to be uh quite high on alex's driver ratings not a 10 though without wishing to bring any spoilers in but it was uh yeah i think a really good display from max and i think that it again points to the fact that red bull does have a very slight but very important pace advantage over Ferrari at the moment. And for Max, I mean, of I think it's there was a stat going around um, Twitter of all the races he's actually finished this year, and that includes the the sprint race at Imola, of course. He's won, so it's a really really strong start to the to the year for him. And obviously not leading the championship, but I think him and Red Bull are in a really good spot right now. To my mind, it was a really really well controlled performance by. Max and when when you looked at the kind of the, the relative times they were doing, uh, Max was so consistent um, on both stints on the medium tire once he'd got by Charles and also on the hard tire. He just looked like um, I won't say I won't say he looked like he wasn't trying because of course he was, but it, if if he'd had to go quicker, he probably could have done. So it was all very well controlled, whereas you, you looked at the times Leclerc was doing and there were spikes all over the place, which suggested that he was kind of hustling and having to catch it in places. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was a dominant performance by Red Bull, even though I think that the differences between those cars are quite fine. Uh, you know, we know that the uh, Ferrari's cornering performance is arguably better and the the, the way the Red Bull uh, Honda engine is configured gives it a bit more whack of power uh, through uh, hybrid deployment on the straights. So they, they kind of have opposite characteristics. And with, with this race, just Leclerc had to hustle the Ferrari through sector one in order to pull out enough of a gap to uh, stay away on, on the straights. And that ultimately hurt his tyres in the first stint. I think the impressive thing for me about it was also how how much it was quite clear from early on that this track, which obviously, without stating the obvious, no one has raced on before, it you needed supreme levels of confidence to put in great performances around here. And considering he had a pretty much a washout in um, the free practice sessions, was disappointed with his qualifying result coming behind the Ferraris, he put in such a commanding performance that showed no sign of any lack of confidence. Um, he, you know, his move on science at the the beginning was was still quite a ballsy one, considering out of all of the top runners, he probably had the less uh, the least number of of laps under his belt. So, I thought again, it just shows that that Max is such a commanding and confident racer. Um, and as as Cod has said, it's it just was so controlled. From, from the get-go, really, um, that it was just another masterclass, really, from, from him and, and one that we're just very, very much used to seeing on a, on a, on a more regular basis. Um, and I think that was, for me, that it was the confidence level of, of, of his performance that was also extremely impressive. 
A quick look at uh, winners and losers from the start. I like to do this. Leclerc led away and stayed in the lead on lap one. Verstappen got a place off Sainz. So he's plus one. Sainz minus a place. Perez in fourth. Bottas in fifth. Gasly gained a place. And Alonso gained four places at the start. A great start for Fernando. You mentioned Alonso's start there, Martin, and he actually reveals in the pen after the race that it was down to a bit of trickery, something he spotted when he was out in the driver's parade. All of the drivers were taken around individually in, in some pretty pretty nice cars, and but he did say that it was probably the slowest driver's parade he can remember having in Formula One. But he said that they came to a halt basically at turn one. He said he like, was sat there for about 20 seconds and he was looking at the corner and he realised actually the outside of the corner, similar to the line that Verstappen took. He said it was actually a lot cleaner and looked like it had a lot more grip than he'd been he'd been thinking. So right then in his head, he went, right, I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to go for the outside when I go into turn one. And obviously that paid huge dividends off, off the line. He managed to, yeah, make up a lot of places, as you say. So I saw that was some good, uh, a, a good show of wiliness from uh, Fernando Alonso there. It's experience money can't buy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, actually money does buy because they pay for it. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah, legendary for making good starts. And another great onboard to go watch back if you get a chance. Alonso making up some great places. One of those ones where everyone else looks just, I don't know, like they're in a different gear and, uh, and Alonso is flying past. Of course, there was that contact between Fernando and Lewis Hamilton at the start. Anything in that? A bit of over-exuberance, I suppose, on Fernando's part. And, you know, the, the thing is that the track does funnel a bit when you when you have a section where it goes right and then left and someone goes around the outside into the right there, there's always going to be the risk of, of contact as, as the track then funnels to the left uh, and, and and Fernando had momentum so you would think someone with his experience might have um, placed their car a little bit more optimally but um, yeah he did get a great start the, the, the rest of the furniture of Alonso's race, I'm afraid, is going to, uh, without wishing to deliver even more spoilers about Alex's highly coveted driver ratings, um, it's not good news for Alonso fans, I'm afraid. Let's talk a little bit about that battle between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc for the lead. The race director did give us plenty of coverage of that on the TV feed. And after lap seven, Max was in DRS range. He got the lead in lap nine. And after that, when Charles Leclerc was still in DRS range, it was interesting that even though he had DRS, you see that closing speed just wasn't there on the straights. And it's funny, you know, over the years, Red Bull not really having the reputation of having that huge VMAX, but being really fast in the twisty stuff and giving up a little bit of top end speed. But, you know, this season, new cars, new regs, it seems that they've managed to uh, turn that around and, and get a bit of a reputation for a high top speed with that Honda power unit or Red Bull power unit. And for it's an area of weakness for them. Now, don't get me wrong, of course, they have absolutely fixed their engine weaknesses, but after Leclerc couldn't even close with DRS open on Verstappen, and it's not that Verstappen was pulling away, but he just, they maintained that distance, even with the slipstream, with the DRS, it was clear this was not going to be an easy one for Ferrari to get back on top. Not sure if you read this the same way as I do, but it's almost as if Ferrari had no answer to Red Bull this weekend. We've seen that through the early part of the season, the Red Bulls straight line speed has been, yeah, it's, it has been really strong and really good. And I think that, but I think it's been, yeah, the second second race weekend in a row, similar to Imola, where Red Bull just did have that little bit extra and it's left Ferrari now really sort of thinking, well, like what gains can we make and how are we going to, how are we going to cut that deficit? And it's something Matteo Bonotto spoke about afterwards and he said, look, this is a, it's an upgrade race now it is. Obviously they've got the, the cost cap and everything to consider. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's just interesting how this early battle is, is warming up between the two of them. We know that the Spanish Grand Prix has traditionally been a place where you do bring these these bigger upgrade packages. So it'll be quite interesting what both of them do bring to that race. But yeah, I think that it's... Um I think, I think it goes beyond being Miami specific. I just think, yeah, we've seen the Red Bull performing very well on that front so far this season. So um yeah, and I, I just think it was... It, it just everything sort of aligned for them a little bit more. We saw Perez was hurt so much by his engine issue through the race. Um, but yeah, I think that it was just a weekend where Red Bull, even after losing out and qualifying, did have the advantage come the race. Would that have been a Red Bull 1-2 without the Perez engine issue? Oh, uh, I don't know. I think that, I think that obviously qualifying qualifying hurt him uh, but he was massively down because he said oh, he said to his engineer of the radio when he was told oh it's just you've lost the toe and he was like no no this is way more than that I've lost like three four seconds or whatever and he said afterwards that he was about 10 k's down on, on the straight I think Christine Horner said that it was worth about 30 horsepower the the, the issue that, that that it was Um, so it was a 
believe Perez said it was a, a sensor issue that had, had um, emerged. So I think that, yeah, for them, obviously a bit of a missed opportunity. Again, this reliability question that they do need to get on top of. But I think Red Bull will know that, look, we did have that pace advantage overall over the weekend. Some drivers were kind of more pinguid than others, you might say. Like the in in the pen afterwards, by the time they, they got to us in the written media, um, they, they really had started to drip. And the likes of Magnussen and Bottas looked very, very sweaty indeed. But I, I, I remember looking over uh, at the, the TV pen business being concluded and George Russell looked as fresh as a daisy and it was it was his PR umbrella holder who who was the one who looked a bit sweaty and the worse for wear but yeah it, it is just the the combination of of the heat and the humidity like we uh, that's uh, me Luke and Alex headed out for a, a run around the track on uh, Friday night after business had concluded and bearing in mind this was eight o'clock in the evening it was still really really hot and quite quite difficult to make any progress and, and let's just say i didn't make a dent in my fastest five kilometer running but saying time. that codders you were the quickest out of the three of us we we compared times at the end so i think credit where it's due for that but yeah it was like it was like sucking in like hot air and soup it was so so tough and i think it's yeah we've all sort of been saying about the heat this weekend and we clearly saw it when the drivers jumped out of the car like just how much of a toll it took um gasly i mean we were talking to him yesterday and literally as we were asked a question he took a good sort of 30 seconds so just to get in as much liquid as he could to try and cool down so yeah it was a definitely a pretty brutal one out there i think we saw with max after the race well just how much of a toll it had taken Let's talk about what it was like being in Miami for you guys. Now on TV, the glitz and the glamour definitely came across. Not everyone's cup of tea. Of course, some Formula One fans are you know, there for the racing and not necessarily to see some of the celebs, some of the hangers-on, all right, I'll say it, I'll call them that, who aren't really there for Formula One, but just because it's a, it's a nice party to go to. But that was really the vibe that Miami was going for. They were going for the party vibe. The reputation in advance was going to be that it was a hospitality Grand Prix, but I, I didn't get that at all on the coverage. I saw plenty of TV coverage of the grandstands, of real fans wearing gear, uh, cheering on their favourite drivers, and so that didn't really come across but clearly ticket prices were pretty huge in the thousands of dollars just to get in today but you were there in Miami you've soaked it all up what was it like as an event without wanting to rub it in for anybody that wasn't here this weekend it was flipping awesome I have to like regardless of of you know thoughts around the racing there's still I think there's still a lot of um, improvement that could be made there firstly with the track surface that was a key topic of conversation and kind of added to maybe the lack of overtaking that we saw today but as a venue and as a temporary venue it's extremely impressive and I think the the risk that we thought maybe was kind of being played with in the lead into this Grand Prix was that it was going to be all style and no substance and kind of show and no go without using a ton of cliches. Codders, I think you've been rubbing off on me (laughs) (laughs) in the week that we've been here. cliches, that's wit. Well, of course, sorry. How dare I? Um, But for the the most part, I will say it it wasn't. It's probably one of the most... um, in terms of facilities, one of the best tracks I've ever been to. Um, and the guys are sitting around the table have maybe been to more venues than, than I have, but it, it had everything and then some. Um, and although obviously the, the biggest criticism was the, the cost to the fan for this Grand Prix, and I do still think it's, it was quite extraordinarily high and there were stories coming out about them selling um, team merch for way, way above market value. I mean, we saw caps on sale for $120 when actually on online you can get them for about 40 um, But it, it, it wasn't, you know, I was, we were likening it to at least it wasn't kind of a fire festival-esque situation <laughs> where... It would be a good Grand Prix, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, the fire festival Grand Prix? I mean, it wouldn't because everybody would be very miserable and we probably True. wouldn't, we wouldn't have had a race. But um, it definitely wasn't anything like that. And it did actually seem, for, the, for those people that had come out and spent um, the money... The facilities, the different areas of the track that you could go to, the and the the viewing points did seem to actually be pretty good. 
they'd put a lot of effort into making it not look like a car park, haven't Absolutely. they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it, it was the fact that it's temporary and it's all probably it's all coming down tonight. Yeah. I mean, as we were leaving, they were deconstructing everything, um, bar obviously the things that are, are permanently here. But it was just such a well put together event. Um, even you know, selfishly talking as as the media, the media centre is one of the best that I've been in. It was in the Hard Rock Stadium itself. So in terms of, of, of that, it was it was well put together. But it just it was just I've been saying this word a lot and it's for for I know for a lot of people listening it might be a bit of a cringe word but it just had good vibes yeah really good vibes like everything was about excitement and entertainment and I think it was kind of the culmination of everything that Formula One has wanted for racing in the US there was not one person there who wasn't damn excited to be there and that was infectious you, you really felt it move up and down the paddock and even in the fan zones like you could tell everyone was just ha- there to have a good time and that's I think is what has maybe been missing from Kota and we were talking about it before the race started and I think Kota definitely kicked it off I mean Kota was one of the first venues to embrace the um, after race or, or, or you know Friday Saturday Sunday concerts and not just getting anybody local to the area to come and do a gig, but actually book high class event, uh, high class artists who then almost brought the fans with them. And, oh, there also happens to be a Formula One event on at the same time. Would you like to watch it? This this felt very much... Um, it was it was as much about the racing and and, and what was going on today than it than it was about um, everything else going on around it. But just the supreme number of celebrities, like content creators, everybody here wanted a piece of Miami. And in terms of was that a good thing for Formula One? I think this is one of the best things to ever happen to Formula One. Fully agreed with that. I think when Liberty took over. There was this idea of oh we want to make every single race like a Super Bowl and, and really hit that that marker and obviously that's such a high bar to, to go for but I think with this race they have done that it has been a race that everyone in town has been saying oh are you going to Miami are you going to the Formula One race everyone has been wanting to come as you said the celebrities that have been wanting to be here from former first ladies of the United States to World Cup winning footballers to uh, rappers some of the biggest artists in the world. They, they wanted to be here. They could have been anywhere else this weekend. The um, Kentucky Derby's been on this weekend as well, and that was kind of the other big US sporting event. And I know we are very biased, but it did feel like this was the one that was more talked about and made a bigger impact. So I think F1, with the running of this event, they could be so, so proud of what they've done. And it's, it's a big benchmark, I think, for all events moving forward now. It'll be interesting to see if the momentum stays for next year. Now, this is what Seidel said after the race, because he, he, after we finished our um, media session, he was like, how was it for you guys? And we were like, yeah, it's been brilliant. And he said, but it's year two. Like, he said, if in year two it's like this again, fantastic, we've nailed it. There may be a few issues um, there. Uh, word, word has reached me via various people there. There have been a few misfires in the background. And um, let, let's just say that, um, you know, on... on, on, on 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 was it Wednesday Thursday Jess um, we we tried to go to Starbucks outside the uh, media accreditation centre and um, the the shop itself was shut and uh, we had to queue for the drive through and there was we, we got the last sandwiches in town uh, because then had a delivery that was actually going on at the circuit itself so the uh, apparently paddock club ran out of food they had to advise people not to come on saturday so there's going to be some logistical challenges next year in terms of persuading maybe some people who'd paid for quite expensive hospitality tickets or paddock club and been turned away or had a slightly disappointing experience persuading them to come back but uh, I don't know I'd quite happily rip a few hospitality suites down and put some grandstands there <laughs> I mean I think the stuff like that is 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 very much fixable mm. if if the if the facilities were wrong or you know there was something more kind of um fundamentally awry then I think that that I would agree would would it be a real hard sell but I think as much as that is, you know, shouldn't have happened. And if you do, if you are going to charge people through the roof prices, then you do expect them to be looked after and food and water seems to be pretty fundamental to that. Um, but I think if that's, if that's the biggest criticism of them moving forward as a first event, 
I think they smashed it. Yeah, this was this was this was not a damp weekend camping in Belgium and a couple of hundred euros on a ticket with you know you and your mates. I mean, at times it was damp, Martin, because the weather here the weather here is crazy. It's very weird, isn't it? Mm. It's so. I mean, it absolutely chucked it down just before the race, and within five minutes there was no sign of rain at all, and I mean it had all evaporated, and the sun was out. But then you would then get weird scenarios where there would be a big enough rain cloud to cause a downpour, but you would almost be half and half. Like I was half in sunshine and half getting absolutely soaked. It was very, very strange. I mean, a part of me would have liked to have seen that take like hold of the race a little bit. I think it would have created some kind of all weirdness and maybe we wouldn't be talking about it being a dull race now but um at the same time i think it's a bit unfair to put on the promoters control of the of the weather yeah exactly it's something we talked about on the preview podcast with myself john noble and charles bradley on thursday's show if you haven't heard it you can go back and listen if you're interested not so much actually about the the form and stuff so i think it's still really relevant because we talk about how the miami grand prix came about now charles is ex autosport now he runs motorsport.com he's our colleague there and he is a miami native these days an expat and making Miami, his home, he was saying it's very clear that when they were deciding on a race start time, they could have gone for midday or half past 12. Maybe it wasn't as good for the West Coast US TV viewers, but would have decreased the chances of some rain because these big storms do roll in in the afternoons in Miami and they're, they're pretty intense. They come and go just like that. But by putting it so late, then he was wondering, OK, they, the organisers do know that some rain could arrive and that you know could have been a positive if you want to throw a spanner in the works and all those kind of things. But look, the drivers weren't raving about it as a racetrack they wanted to go and uh, an attack. And why do you think that was? They like to complain, don't they? I mean, there there is part of that. But I think their complaints were valid. I think that what they were saying about the surface, when we know we go to any new F1 track, there's obviously always the challenge of what the grip levels, what's the track like. It's not had the sort of years and years of running and being bedded in as we have at other tracks. But with this one, they said it was particularly difficult when you went offline. And even after practice on Friday, a lot of them were saying, we think it's going to be one line and uh when uh, Pierre Gasly spoke about it on Saturday, I said, what happens if you go offline, go for an overtake and get it wrong? And he said, oh, it's chow chow for a few laps. And I thought that it was a good way to sum it up. Um, Sergio Perez called the surface a joke. Lando Norris, he, he, he agreed with that. Fernando Alonso said it wasn't up to F1 standards. So I think that's something that they do need to work on. We saw the track coming up in places. Obviously, they had to do a lot of, of uh, resurfacing through the weekend. So I think when we go back next year, that's going to be something very important for them to try and fix and try to get right. The chicane, yeah, I think that all of the drivers said, look, this is a really good circuit. We really enjoy the fast-flowing nature of it in places, and it's challenging and it's exciting. It took a lot of inspiration from other classic F1 tracks, which is really, really cool. But the issue was that chicane, that it was just so slow. It wasn't really big enough for these these rather large Formula 1 cars that we now have. So it was a big challenge for the drivers. And they all said, look, if you get rid of that chicane, make something a bit different, then it would be, it would be a better lap. Carlos Sainz said they've already spoken about looking at that with uh, Ross Braun so hopefully that does lead to some positive changes but I think that yeah the drivers for all of the hype about the event I think they just want a circuit that is absolutely meeting all of that on track as well because we we want the best racing products we can because that is what ultimately defines whether a Grand Prix is good or bad. Yeah I don't think the TV images really do justice to the way that whole section around the chicane operates it's just such a bizarre and incongruous part of the track you have so much of it is so wide and flowing and i know you know we've we've dug a little bit into maybe while it is wide and flowing there may be only one line through it but you then basically take a couple of rights around a uh, a fake beach resort and then you turn left and the circuit tightens up faster than a republican voter when you mention gun control <laughs> We're in the right state for that, Codders, as well. We are. All right, we'll stay there because there's more to say about Ferrari, I think, and the drivers. You've spoken to them after the race today. I want to hear about your impressions of how they were. But to give the listeners of the podcast an insight into how we record this, it's pretty late your time in Miami, of course. It was a a later afternoon race. Then you have to do all your interviews and talking to the team bosses, etc. Then you get back and have some food at the Airbnb. So it's late for you. It's three o'clock in the morning here in the UK, but that is life. We want to get this podcast out for morning commuters on a Monday morning, particularly in the UK and Europe. So a couple of hours ago, I was flagging 
don't think I'm too much of a weirdo, but I did go and have a bit of a shaveroo and just freshen up, thanks to our sponsors of today's podcast, Harry's. And you know what? It's absolutely done the trick because I'm feeling fresh-faced and ready to go. It does not feel like 3 o'clock in the morning here. Thank you so much to Harry's for sponsoring the Autosport podcast today. Thanks to them, we can bring the show to you for free. If you think you know Harry's, well, then let me tell you about what you can get from them. You might not know a trial set and face wash offer without Autosport code. Not only, of course, they're very famous for their excellent five-blade razors, which will do the job every time for you, but also in the little pack they sent me. I got the face wash, I got the gel as well, and that has sorted me right out uh, at this early hour of the morning. Feeling good, feeling great. Don't know if I'm looking great. I have to ask my wife that. I'm not sure you get a good response uh, either way. Uh, However, if you would like to add this to your bathroom cabinet, you can do for our very special Autosport podcast listener offer. And it's one of those things that I've got to be honest, what with working from home and COVID and stuff like that, I don't shave every day anymore. I used to when I worked in the office, but it can go two, three, four, five days, depending on how lazy I'm going to be. And honestly, I'd start to feel a little bit kind of grotty and scratchy face, not really a proper beard, but also just not looking after uh, my shaving, really. This is where Harry's completely comes in. It's a whole skincare routine. Thank you so much, uh, Harry's, for sending that through to me. And you can get exactly what I got. So next time you want to Bust that out of the bathroom cabinet. You can do just pay £3.95 for delivery and you can redeem your free Harry's trial set. How do you do it? You go to harrys.com slash autosport. H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash autosport. And just play that, pay that delivery charge. And maybe even over the years you've heard Harry's or never even tried them. Put that right now. Go to harrys.com slash autosport and get that free Harry's trial sets now. Let's get back to the pod. Let's talk Ferrari. So afterwards, you're speaking to the drivers. This year so far, Carlos Sainz has been a bit down. And that's understandable because he knows he's in a potentially championship winning car. Charles Leclerc. Obviously, he's had some fantastic results so far this year. What were the drivers like at Ferrari, knowing it could have been a one-two, and it was the second and third steps on the podium today? Science was, uh, I think, shattered is is the best word for him. He was very drained. Uh, he hurt his neck uh, in that impact with the wall the other day, uh, and also he alluded to uh, a lack of race fitness because obviously his last two Grand Prix outings. Uh, and ended uh, not far, uh, not long after the, the lights went out. So he, he d- just doesn't have that race fitness. So he was kind of clinging on in that race. Charles seemed a little bit more chipper. I, th- I think Charles accepted that kind of that he'd, he'd extracted the maximum out of or almost out of today in a way that he didn't at Imola. So I would say he was quite sanguine about the whole proceedings, while obviously not being overjoyed at. At finishing second so there was an undercurrent of frustration there but um charles wasn't miserable I, th- I think carlos relieved to have got a score in the book but just a, a very very tired man right let's talk mercedes then fifth and sixth today russell and hamilton so russell made the strategy of starting on the hard tires and going really long work particularly well we even heard on the team radio feed they played a, played a bit of the conversation between him and the pit wall saying look let's just the, the pace is okay let's wait until there might be a safety car later in the race maybe some rain was going to arrive they didn't know but it was a, a calculated risk a calculated gamble of course it did pay off with that late collision between norris and gasly which meant that they got a bit of a cheap stop underneath at the time it was vsc virtual safety car and of course that would they didn't pit hamilton though so when had that last was 11 lap dash was it at the end of course it was kind of a foregone conclusion again safety car Lewis Hamilton, car behind on fresher tyres that he was, uh, Russell was going to get him. He did, but passed off track, had to give it back and then do it again, which meant that he lost time and couldn't really attack any further places. But will Mercedes be pretty happy today with fifth and sixth? Could they have done any better? They certainly could have done a little bit worse. What do you reckon? It's a good haul of points, but I asked Lewis after the race I said are you close enough to understanding the issues with this car to knowing the right direction you're going and he said 
we've made no progress really over these first five races and we're still still as far off the pace as we were in uh, in the opener in Bahrain so I think that they they're, they're still not they're still miles off where they want to be and need to be and we're another race in and they've not I know we're not probably going to get this massive breakthrough but even with the updates that arrived for this weekend and the pace we saw on Friday that kind of gave this glimmer of hope that they were quite quick to say well let's see how we go and then that all turned around come Saturday and Sunday so I think it's um, yeah another one of those weekends they'll say, they'll say look we 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 got fifth and sixth realistically Bottas should have beaten both of them had he not um yeah taken his uh, eye off the eye off the ball he was too busy looking in his mirror seeing the battle that was going on between Russell and Hamilton and uh, made that mistake and ran wide and that allowed both of them through which was uh, yeah quite a quite a sloppy error but I think Mercedes they know they're not in the right place they know they're not where they need to be I think it's a it's a tough process for the team. I think there's a lot of work for them to do. And I think Lewis after race is quite accepting of the situation they're in, but it's, uh, it's a mile away from where they should be right now. Toto Wolf uh, said, what, what was this phrase? He said, it's exponentially difficult or the, the learning process with that, with that car is exponentially difficult because you try something, you think you've made some progress, you think you're closer to understanding what ails it. And then you make another change that you think is going to improve it and all of a sudden it's behaving like a kangaroo again so you know they believe that that car concept works and that they will make a breakthrough at some point there there was some evidence that you know the the new front wing package has uh, enabled them to unlock some of the latent performance and it's maybe the for me that the front wing was very interesting because that's a significant performance change that the front wing effectively dictates the aero map or has a heavy influence of the aero map of the entire car so it's not something you change lightly uh, and they, they went back to a sort of a wing profile where the the planes are angled more steeply towards the center of the car and then uh, as, as the tips go out they, they angle in towards the end plate so it, it looks like through they, they've found a way to achieve some sort of outwash effect and perhaps make the aerodynamics of the car behave more as they were originally envisaged in the wind tunnel. So maybe they are edging it closer towards what the, what their research suggested it should be doing. Right. Well, let's talk about the other big issue that we were still writing stories about and loads of conversation around, bizarrely enough, and that's jewellery. In Miami, full of celebs, natural territory for Lewis Hamilton. You know, it could have been all about who he was hanging out with, could have been about obviously racing a car, you know, but instead we were talking about jewellery again. Part of me is completely over this conversation of the FIA banning some of the jewellery that the drivers have been wearing, apart from the fact that these stories keep coming up and people keep talking about it and our readers seem interested in it. So why are we still talking about Lewis Hamilton and nose studs and rings and all the various bits of jewellery and watches and also he's been given a bit of leniency, an extra two races to remove some parts of jewellery which he says are not easily removable so whether it's you know personal areas or or not we don't know where those uh, those piercings or studs uh, you know might be but why are we still talking about this the traffic levels the the level of interest in it on social and the traffic levels on various websites suggest that there is an appetite to discuss this and while i agree with you that it is an entirely pointless subject um there's clearly uh, a, a bedrock of people for whom it is irresistible but i also think it's it's kind of not been very wise by the fia in terms of their handling of it because and whilst you know, it's not, it's, but I don't believe for a second it's aimed at any particular driver. It's the fact that we have two new race directors who have looked at the rules and gone, this rule has always been here, but it's never been enforced. And we've had some pretty serious accidents in the the past few seasons. And they are choosing to say, this is, this has not been enforced properly we're enforcing it now now because it hasn't been enforced properly we've then had drivers who have got piercings and wear jewelry and it's they've never been told you can't do that they're being told they can't do that and now they feel a little bit upset by that because they've they've been racing like it for ages and they don't see the issue um 
So I think it's a case, it's a case of, for me, it keeps feeling weird. And it's one of those just parts of Formula One that I just really do detest, but I also don't understand what the potential I don't know, alternative solution is, but it's the fact that every day we rock up to track and there's a different appendix being added for clarity. So, but today we were still talking about, well, do wedding rings count? Well, well Kevin do- Magnuson, Kevin Magnuson said, I will sign a liability waiver. It's my wedding ring. It, it, it means a lot to me if I'm going to go out anyway. Like if you're talking about the point of I'm on fire and I'm burning, if I'm going out, I'm going out with my wedding ring on, right? Because that's, I guess, that's, that's my bond with my wife. And if, that's, if I'm in a serious accident, I want that wedding ring on. And it's absolutely. like, Absolutely, well, and, and Pierre, Pierre Gasly spoke about the fact that he has, he wears something for religious reasons, and that for him is very important because he feels like he has protection in the car. Um, but I guess the point is, yeah, they could all sign waivers, which would cover them legally. But are you telling me for one instance that if a driver suffers injury during uh, an accident... And it's because of a piece of jewellery. Not that, you know, the, the, the point is that we, we hopefully would never ever have to find out. But I think that the, the problem is, is that the FIA, it, as the keepers of safety, would still be at the centre of the fact that it's not safe. So regardless of if the driver sign waivers and legally sway the, the, that they say, well, they say that, you know, they'll take it on themselves. There's no way in, in any world ever that the FI would not be at the center of that shitstorm, basically. So I don't, I just, I think it's a, it's a bit of a, I understand why the drivers are frustrated, but I also understand why the FIA are clamping down. And I think the point is, is that, that neither party is doing it in a very constructive manner. And that's why we're still here talking about it because it's, it's, it's the conflict between the two parties that's of interest, not actually necessarily the subject itself. And that's yeah. what we find interesting. And they're discussing it via the media because, you know, you, you get a, a press conference and let, let, let's let's be plain about it because Lewis has got a lot of such addenda on him. He has naturally become the sort of the centre of, 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 of the whole thing. And the, the British media, of course, generally, certainly Fleet Street, uh, as was, thrive on any Lewis-centric news. So it's developed its own momentum. And and yet there, there's a touch of the Jerry Springer show style thing where people conduct the argument through through the medium uh, while on stage instead of just nipping backstage and sorting it out. I mean, I'm, I'm, to- I'm totally here for Lewis Hamilton rocking up wearing three watches and Sebastian Vettel wearing his underpants on the outside of his race suit. I, I, I think I saw, um, it was a, a Alanis King tweeted about the fact that she's completely here for the drivers that have, you know, they've won multiple world championships between them and they're just kind of going, what are you going to do about it? If we do this, I'm, and I'm, I'm as much as I'm, it's a bit disruptive and does distract away from what it is that we're actually trying to do here, which is go motor racing. Um, it, it, it does provide a little bit of color to everything that we're doing, and like the attitudes and the protests are, are, are great, um, and it does cause conversation. Right, we're here talking about why is this? Why hasn't it been enforced? How should it be enforced? You know, what what does it what are the rules around this so it's it's an interesting discussion point but i do hope it does go away at some point okay mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner Hey, let's talk about Bottas, should we? Yeah, good race until he spent too much time looking in his rearview mirror. 
he's he is uh, he's having a great year this year. Whether it is his uh, the things that he's posting online, his personal life, his work life now, uh, he is he seems completely in the zone. He's qualifying really well, and the internet loves that when he qualifies ahead of the Mercedes. And apart from yes, a slip up today, uh, he would have had a fa- he, he was on for a higher a higher finish. Um, what is it? Is it about him? Is it about the the car? Is it the team? Is it the atmosphere? Why is he racing so well this year? He's a driver made for a midfield team. Oh, feel the burn. Wow. Or he's a top level driver in a midfield team. Wow. And and that is a good marriage. Okay. 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 No, it's been, it's been, it's been great to see. Like he's always, he has always been a good qualifier. He's always been brilliant. And I think that, that has sometimes gone missed. And then I think it's mistakes like today where you're like, oh, okay, that's, probably why you didn't beat Lewis Hamilton over a course of a season but he um no he's he's doing really well and Alpha are in a really good spot as well at the moment I think um his, even his teammate Guan Yu Zhou like he's been super unlucky through through this year and uh, again uh, it was another another example of that today so I think that Alpha are just in a really good spot right now it's it's a really good match I think between between Bottas and the team and it's it's just good to see him yeah, he's, he's loving life he's enjoying himself I am I was being entirely facetious just just for clarity before people come at me on Twitter <laughs> but no I think it's to all those points it's um the, there's a there's a different level of pressure there's a different level of I mean I don't w- want to keep going over old ground because I feel like we're having this same conversation um every time we do this Sunday night podcast but it's about having the support of the team having the team built around you and you being the leader like it, it creates an entirely different environment um and one that has filled him full of confidence but yeah i mean again like his personal life seems to be booming as well he's released a gin a gin a bottas gin bottas gin that's, that, that's okay. a little bit off trend though isn't it isn't everyone into um boutique um rums now i think okay, jensen yeah. button's released a whiskey so yeah well okay. that's off that's way off trend i mean david beckham brought out hay club Donkeys years ago, didn't he? Get with the program, boys. Well, there we go. So he's clearly, uh, he's clearly completely, uh, you know, he's having a great season uh, so far this year. And let's talk about the Alpines because, you know, uh, Alonso could always have gone quicker, but that's when you talk to Alonso, that's what makes him Alonso. Because of that late safety car and the gamble of Ocon on soft tyres, which didn't look like it was paying off to begin with because they didn't, I either couldn't make them work to begin with or, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't carve his way through through the field straight away. But it was a great result this weekend for Alpine. I think given what happened to Ocon in 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 FP3 when he when he crashed and that that obviously was such a, a huge story that that accident in P3 hitting the wall there were the discussions the day before after science had had the same incident there should we put a tech pro barrier there the drivers were like we'd clearly do it and it didn't happen and I think that is part of the sort of again buying into the whole jewelry and underpants discussion it's that they're being so picky about things like that but when drivers saying please put a safer barrier in this place where we've had a big crash nothing happens and there's another big crash and still nothing happens that's um that that's a big concern but Ocon yeah he drove he drove an excellent race I must say to to rise up the order as he did and to fight all the way back from the the rear of the field and to come home with it with a decent haul of points I think a, a brilliant driver I don't think the car was quite uh, fully 100% either I think one one of our colleagues I don't know for sure but said that yeah there's some issues with the brakes and things like that so I think he can be really really chuffed with that and Ocon yeah, okay, it was a mistake, that crash in P3, but the way he recovered and bounced back, I think he can take some real heart from that. For Alonso, I mean, well, I thought it was actually a pretty, a pretty bad day. Like, that was an excellent start by him, don't get me wrong. But then afterwards, yeah, it was he was a slow pit stop, and I think he just got a bit impatient trying to pass Gasly. Made that mistake, there was the contact that ultimately did end Gasly's race in the end, it led to the damage that consequently led to the clash with Lando Norris. Alonso took full blame for that. He went up to Gasly in the media pen and said, look, I'm, I'm sorry for that. He said, I take the full blame. He got the five-second penalty. Cops another five-second penalty that drops him out of the points for the uh, for um, gaining a, an advantage by going off track. So really, I think Alonso, it was one of those days where for all of the talk about bad luck this year and saying, oh, the safety car came out at the wrong time and had this issue and whatever, actually, this was not a very good performance from him at all today I don't think bar that start yeah it's not looking good for the driver ratings is it spoilers yeah. uh, while while he would lose his points finish Alex Albon 
I mean, as the token redhead on the autosport team, all I can say is I'm not surprised, my friend. So uh, he is, I'm joking, joking aside. He's, hey, excuse the, the, me. I might the, be box dyed, but I am also a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is, uh, he, he, he faded at uh, Emilia Romagna and uh, re-dyed mm. for this weekend. No. And uh, and he's, he's, he's back. He's, he's back. He feels, I thought you meant uh, his form faded. And I was like, no, he's oh, brilliant. Oh, no, 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 the hair dyed. No, the hair dyed. The dye yeah. faded and then it's re-dyed now. It's, it's more of a, it's a bright, red again and uh, and hey look at that with Alonso's penalty uh, ninth is is so good which also means that Alex Albon has now scored more points than Fernando Alonso so far this year which is uh, a stat that I shall not be putting to Fernando Alonso but it's uh, <laughs> no I wouldn't if I were you it's, it's great like it's great to see what Albon is doing and I think that already comparisons have been drawn to the way that George Russell was so much the leader at that team alongside Nicholas Atifi. And we're kind of seeing a similar thing right now. Albon is always a step ahead. And today he was he was absolutely fantastic. Again, again, the tyre whisperer and the saving he's, he's been doing. And it was a really great drive by him. And I just it's just great to see someone who's been through so much in terms of being spat out by Red Bull and having a year out to come in and just be performing at such a good level. So really, really cool story. And I was, I was actually talking to some team members at Williams before the race and they were all extremely dejected because of their qualifying performance. They all believed they deserved more. I think they thought that Alex had the pace to get into Q3. And so the fact that they were out in Q1 for them was a massive blow. And the, the general feeling seemed to be quite one of... if we I Actually, one, one team member said, we just need to score a point and that would be great. Mm. And, but I don't think they genuinely believed that, that, that they would. And I said to them, well, if anyone's going to do it, I think Alex will. And lo and behold, he did. I mean, I, I, fluke. I messaged the person I was talking to and I was like, told you. Um, um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet that hard. Um, but, it, you know, but he is. He is the driver that is going to do it. And he's doing such a good job at Williams. And it is, as Luke said, it's so good to see considering the absolute whirlwind of a career he's had, but as how good of a driver he is. Um, and just the consistency that of the, of the performances that he can pull out of that Williams. Like he's, as Luke said, he's spearheading that team. What that says about Nicky. Mm. Amiable, mm. but slow uh, Canadian, as I believe I described him when I filed the uh, audio file of our pen interview. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, Without wishing to be too downbeat, and but and I, and I may be preempting the words of the other Alex, the one who's heckling us from the other side of this room, who composes the driver ratings. Uh, but when I say that, although uh, Alex Alban, um, he's coming over now. This is uh, be a deer and fetch us a bottle from the fridge. Um, <laughs> so, uh, why is Valtteri Bottas' dad? Why is he being so mean to me? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, How can I help? Uh, I was merely saying, well, well, uh, come hither, Alex, and, uh, and and I will add and break my thoughts that you can then transmit to the autosport readers and pass them off as your own. Um, <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Um, I, oh, I, I, I'm slipping into my soothsayer role now. I'm, I'm confidently predict that when Alex K composes his driver ratings, he will acknowledge that while Alex A did drive a very well judged race, um, it was because he didn't string together his theoretical best lap in qualifying that he underperformed. And maybe that is what separates him from, say, George Russell in that role was, was, was also maximised the car in qualifying as well as getting good results out of it. And I think the issue for Nicholas Latifi is that he kind of does neither at the moment and he is struggling with time management. And, um, he, you know, the, the issues he uh, Nicholas was reporting with the car throughout the race, you know, he was, he's been driving like someone who had no confidence in it at all. And he, I think he needs to find, he needs to turn a corner in his understanding of the, the, the car and the way to switch the tyres on. Otherwise, he's just constantly going to be slip sliding. But to, to return to the beginning of, of, of this exceedingly long and <laughs> rambling uh, peroration, I feel that Alex K will be marking Alex A down in his driver ratings because uh, he failed to string together his theoretical ideal lap in qualifying. Correct. But I'll do it much quicker than that. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> Alex has got a word count. Touche. Um, okay, I, I do want to uh, give on the last 10 minutes of the podcast a couple of uh, incidents and things to talk about. We'll mention uh, McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo finishing 13th, a five-second penalty for leaving the track and gaining an advantage. Lando Norris, a DNF because of that clash with Gasly, which, yes, the internet uh, was, uh, was as the race was going on, I noticed posting a, a few more memes, probably Latifi-based, of just poking him, saying, come on, crash, do something unfair to him. But then we did get a crash, and it's not where I thought it was you know, going to come from with someone just you know, getting a little too hot into a wall or something. Luke, you've spoken to the drivers after today. Is anyone taking responsibility for that? Because looking at it from different angles, you could kind of apportion the blame... 50-50. Could Lando have given, given that Gasly was off track and clearly, even if he didn't have technical issues, had that would have then picked up some some dart on his tyres. Could Lando have given him a wider berth? Was Gasly at fault for just not seeing Lando come past? Big, big accident causing the safety car. What do you reckon? It was Gasly's, basically the car was broken. It was because of the clash with Alonso that he um, he had uh, had that issue and that he said, like, I couldn't, basically, I couldn't steer. I couldn't get the car around. So he said he couldn't do much more. He said he had cars obviously flying past him. He wanted to get out of the way. He was planning to come into the pits and, and retire the car. But uh, yeah, Lando obviously came, came across and, Norris said, well, what more could I have done? I couldn't have gone to even further to the left and sort of risk like, am I going to be pushed into the walls? So, yeah, I don't think anyone's taking any real blame there. And Gazzy said, like, I don't really see any reason to apologise. Lando had it explained to me. He's like, well, it's just unlucky then. And he reckons he would have finished eighth at best. So no huge loss. But uh, yeah, obviously not how either would have wanted their races to have ended. Lando said afterwards that um, it was a bit of a eye-opener as to their level of um, competitiveness against the rest of the field. And they, they seemed obviously, I mean, you would be dejected if you've crashed out of the uh, of a race, but um, it definitely seemed to be that they need to go away and, and, and have a really hard look and that the maybe the they were buoyed by previous races, but um, this one kind of showed them up a little bit and they did really struggle. It, it, it was interesting that, that Daniel Ricciardo seemed quite chipper from my slightly peculiar view as I stood in the the press pen uh, looking at him speaking to the TV crews in in the TV pen he seemed to be sort of in smiley Dan mode so you know not too bad Um, Lando uh, just looked quite dejected and certainly in the immediate aftermath of the incident his body language suggested that he felt he could have done a little bit more to avoid the car, that maybe, I, I, I wouldn't use the phrase, had gone to sleep a bit, but he'd, he'd maybe not given that car the, the wide berth it deserved. But then again, if you do stray off the racing line on that circuit, you do pick up dust and all sorts of stuff, so you pay for it later. So there is an argument to say he wanted to claim the line and that maybe he just sort of didn't quite understand the problem that Gasly had and that the car that Gasly's car was uncontrollable so he he, he ran it a little bit close because when when you saw how the accident unfolded it was Lando's right rear tyre ran over the top of Gasly's front left so it was very much a case of the, the two cars trajectories slightly converging which caused that accident so because one car was ahead of the other, it's, it's very difficult to say it's 50-50, but both drivers could have done a little bit more to avoid it. I didn't like the look of it at all. It could have been, if a car in that section even gets a little bit airborne, it could have been uh, really quite horrible. As it was, it was a horrible accident that, uh, uh, that I didn't like the look of it at all. And talking of things I did not like the look of... Oh, Sebastian Vettel, Mick Schumacher, the last event I want to talk about today. There's two drivers that you don't want to see coming together. They've got that great relationship off track as well with the history of Vettel and Schumacher and and Mick as well. I think Mick had done a fantastic afternoon and was set for points. Again, is that a 50-50 or are you going to apportion blame with that one? Was Mick going for a gap that wasn't there? Did Vettel close the door? I think it was a supremely optimistic Maneuver. It was a very, very weird accident, wasn't it? You know, you had the, there was the battle between Ocon and and Mick, and then Vettel went past both of them, 
and um, and and Mick sort of found he had DRS and thought, you know, I can do this, I can do this, and then <laughs> I can't um, do this. I I I once saw a, almost a broadly similar incident around the one-way system as a guy in a scooter tried to dive up the inside of a bus that was turning left, and um, you kind of thought, no, no, that's no, never going to work. No, Unfortunately. He, he realised that it wasn't going to work and he was going to end his days under the wheels of a bus and brought his scooter to a halt. And I think, really, Mick at the time said, uh, that was my corner, I, ha- I had it. Mm. Afterwards, he was unwinding that position quite rapidly and saying, oh, I, I don't know, I, I can't really see in the mirrors of these cars. And whenever a, whenever a Formula One driver says, oh, uh, yeah, it's really difficult to see people in your mirrors, you, you know that's a, a, a terrible excuse. And the fact is, he was the one doing the diving. So mm. it didn't make any sense at all. And his um, PR uh, attaché wisely removed him from the scene while we stood there going, but, uh, but, 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 but. And, and fortunately, uh, a tall German journalist uh, dived in and started demanding to know whether he'd spoken to uh, Sebastian yet and whether he would be speaking to him uh, while we were still sort of grinding our wheels in the gravel. And then the shepherd's cook, crook came along and and, and took Mick away. And basically, that, that was a, a top 10 finish that, he left on the table and that's something that team can ill afford so I imagine that will also reflect poorly in mm. the driver ratings absolutely uh, you've been a big pro- uh, promoter of uh, Alex Kay's driver rating so we're looking forward to that now um, in the other Aston Martin uh, Lance Stroll coming home 10th we've mentioned Fernando with those two five second penalties Yuki Tsunoda uh, was 12th mentioned Ricardo in 13th Latifi in 14th uh, and Mick in 15th, Kevin Magnussen in 16th in the other Haas and Sebastian Vettel. Both of those drivers, yeah, they do get classified as finishers, um, even though uh, the accident damage, uh, particularly for Vettel, uh, was terminal. Okay, that is Miami. It's in the books. I enjoyed it. I'm not sure everyone on the internet enjoyed it. I don't know whether that's a, a result of those that I particularly follow or not, uh, a more the kind of traditionalists the old farts among us you need um, to follow some better people martin mm. i i do because i saw lots of pushback on Miami. i enjoyed watching this from a distance from home i enjoyed this whole weekend i thought there was lots of stuff a little bit too much james corden for me but otherwise so much good stuff to uh, to get involved in but i don't know i think maybe those that uh, like a, a grid walk that is just full of i don't know martin brundle pointing out various bits of aero and bumping into engineers they'll uh, they'll be uh, be happy now we're leaving Miami but I, I enjoyed it so we're off to off to Barcelona and what can we look forward to Jesse you off to Barcelona I, I genuinely do not know how F1 is going to go from Miami to Spain because Barcelona the Spanish Grand Prix <laughs> is not one that usually delivers and if we're saying you know today wasn't it didn't set the world alight it at least had all the pomp and ceremony that that whilst some people might not enjoy, it made this event such a high. I don't know how we're going to go into Spain because it's just not one that really is a very interesting. So I don't know. Maybe stranger things have happened. Maybe it's going to be the most exciting race of the year. New cars. I mean, this is there we go. The That's what I mean. Where I think we. Un- we put them to a good test because it's always such a dire race. I think it's going to be quite interesting how they get on. But yeah, it is. Uh, we're kind of going from, a, I think, a highest high in terms of, as, as you say, just pomp and circumstance and all of the event and all the glitz and glamour to an industrial estate about an hour outside Barcelona. So it is uh, quite the come down. Uh, I left testing. Originally, I wasn't planning to go to the Spanish Grand Prix. And I was like, oh, I don't have to, see how the, have to see the circuit again for another 12 months. And yet I am going back there. But Lovely. it's all part you can't of the But as Luke you says, it's, it. It, is, it is typically the place where teams bring a lot of updates. Yeah. So maybe that will save it uh, along with the, the new regs. But, you know, I, I guess like if you set your expectations, expectations low you can only be impressed so i don't want to f- 
fall, yeah, I don't want to fall into the lazy kind of, you know, the Netflix generation of tuning into Formula One now, the TikTok generation of uh, tuning into Formula One. So I think the people that say Luke's that, a TikTok star I'm now, TikTok star. so you can't I, speak I, badly I, I, of TikTok. Jess have you gone viral? Jess has made me a TikTok star. We got what? It was 100k views uh, on my yacht tour? Coll- collectively, I think Luke has amassed about close to 300,000 views. Wow. So enough of Not your surprised. cynicism, Martin. Exactly. Yeah. Not surprised. But I wonder how those viewers, perhaps that have come into to Formula One that have maybe not watched a Barcelona race before, uh, will, you know, t- they'll they'll wait two weeks, the big event happens, and then they're like, okay, this is not Miami. Uh, I mean, we'll Sp- Spain followed by Monaco is not, if you want some, <laughs> like if racing. you're looking for some racing, maybe watch Indy 500. Yes. If, but- every sport needs its nil-nil draws every so often. It just doesn't need two in a row. Yeah. Well, we will be back in the US and obviously next year back in Vegas as well. So if you thought this was full of celebrities and glitz glamour, it was bombastic. You have and uh, and fake. I've seen that word bandied around a lot, not, not just because of the marina. Uh, you ain't seen a nothing yet for those people that have not been to Vegas. And I have been to Vegas several times, and I love it because of that. But I think if you go there taking it seriously you'll be sorely disappointed go for the uh, the theater uh, uh, not just not the theater but all of it and i think you'll have a great time so formula one i think is uh, it's definitely working in in the u.s more than it has done recently and that is indeed the cover of autosport magazine if you haven't picked yours up yet and you're not a subscriber why not uh, how f1 conquered america uh, that look out for the stars and uh, stripes on the front cover of Autosport magazine. Make sure you are following us on autosport.com. I'm sure you do already. And uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Check out all of these guys' uh, social channels. I'm sure they're populating all of them with wonderful content from Miami. Uh, Thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you on the next one. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.